Welcome back to Mitchell County Cotton and Community with your local county extension agent, Marcus Perninger. This will be the third installment with Dr. Tim Steffens. Our first question is, what do you mean by range or grazing ecology? Well, any, any ecology is just the, the study of organisms with each other and how they relate to each other and their environment. And so when we're talking about grazing ecology, we're, we're concentrating primarily on forage plants and animals that are eating them. And then kind of the, how that affects their environment and how their environment affects them. Essentially, it's just all the different relationships in an uh, ecosystem. Well, yeah, I mean, so we know that different plants grow on different soils. We know uh, that animals have different preferences, and so the way that they uh, the way that they choose plants is going to affect how they compete with each other for you know, moisture and nutrients and that kind of thing. We know that as those preferred plants get disfavored, they tend to go away in the community. And when that happens, then the animals have less that they like and more that they don't. And that, <clears throat> that can get worse as time goes on if we don't do something about that. We know also that the way that those, that those plants react and the amount of cover we have on the ground determines to, to a big extent how much water we get in the ground and how much of it goes back through a plant versus how much gets just evaporated from the soil. And so all those things kind of combine to, uh, to to affect how how our management uh, uh, determines what we get in a year. Yes, sir. What are some of the important aspects of rangeland ecology that makes the system work and the way we manage to make the most of what we have? Let, <clears throat> there's there's a few things that we can manage with uh, with our grazing. Uh, and that's the thing that I, I primarily talk about. Uh, we can manage cover, which affects erosion, runoff, uh, infiltration, and evaporation. Uh, you know, nutrients, we're not going to be fertilizing and stuff that much, but we can affect how fast those nutrients cycle in the system. And so when we, when we harvest plants at the right stage of maturity, they tend to be used more effectively by the animals. And then the, the resulting manure and urine that comes out has started the decomposition process. And so, and, and the manure is more easily uh, broken down further by other microbes and stuff. And so we get those nutrients back into circulation a lot quicker. By 
by managing the intensity of how uh, the, the average intensity and cover that we leave, we tend to get more water into the soil and we tend to have much less of it get evaporated back out before plant can use it. In a lot of instances, we can, we can make droughts worse and we can, we can manage to not have droughts if, we, if we're managing cover. There's a, there's a lot of people that worry a lot about brush cover and, and justifiably so. But in a lot of instances, they're also not taking into account how much cover they're leaving on the ground and even how much cover that some of that brush can, can provide. Uh, you know, I've got stacks of pictures where, you know, the best grass in the pasture is what's growing under the drip line of a mesquite tree. And part of that is because of the shading effect of, of that canopy cover. And so, you know, it's not all just about competition among the roots for moisture. It's also how much can we get in and how much do we keep there? How do the grazing animals fit into that? Well, when and, and how much that they're taking when they're there and for how long that they're there <clears throat> is going to affect that cover. It's going to affect how many times those desirable plants get grazed. And, and because of that, we're affecting water and we're affecting that competition. We're affecting you know, how often those plants go to seed. We're affecting whether those plants have an opportunity to germinate and establish. Uh, you know, when we're talking about things like, you know, annual weeds and little annual grasses, you know, they put out so much seed and they, they come up in such profusion that it's hard for an animal to get all of them. But when you take, and, and the seedlings are, are much more vigorous compared to some of our desirable perennial plants. They don't have to be so vigorous as seedlings because they stay around from year to year. They don't have to reproduce as often. So what happens, we start to kill out those perennial grasses, those, the good ones that we like, that hole's gonna get filled by something. That may be you know, some little annual forb, it may be something like little barley that, you know, it's pretty decent whenever it's around, but it isn't around very long and it doesn't produce much while it's there. And so when we start relying more on those short-lived plants, it's kind of a boom or bust kind of a system where if we're relying on those perennials, we tend to get more, more predictable and more uh, and higher productivity in most instances because we don't have to have that seed sit there and, you know, take in moisture and finally germinate. And then it got to get up where an animal can get to it. If it's a perennial grass, 
the rain comes, something starts to grow. And so the more we can manage for those perennials, the, the, the more predictable and the more reliable our productivity is going to be so that we don't have these wild swings where we have to either feed or, or sell off animals because we run out of something for them to eat. Yes, sir. Nature creates a vacuum. And when nothing's there, sometimes the undesirable plants will start to grow right there. That's right. And then, you know, you know, we, we can go in there and kill those desirable or those undesirable plants, but then we've got another hole that's still got to be filled. And if we keep doing the same thing we always did, we're going to keep getting the same things we always got. The only difference will be if we're, if we're getting rid of something that's not very good, we may get something even worse because we're making it even hard for those things to grow. And so we can end up in a, in a big spiral of, of decline if we don't, if we need to start managing for the things that we like, they tend to be more competitive anyways. And so they'll kind of keep the other stuff at bay. Now that doesn't mean you're never going to have another weed or you're never going to have another piece of brush, but if you're managing for the things you like, when you kill those, you know, those undesirable plants, you're more likely to start getting, the good stuff coming in and that's where that's where managing with an ecological uh frame of mind can be so advantageous is you avoid a lot of problems that you may have had otherwise it's like how you compared it earlier they will eat the undesirable plants with the desirable plants a lot like eating vegetables with steak that's right. And, and, you know, even those, even a lot of those undesirable plants, and I, I would say that with little air quotes around it, you know, most of them at some time or another are not too bad. Uh, you know, even those little annuals, there's a point in during the year when they can provide a lot of quality if, if we mix them with you know, maybe something that's that's dormant right now that that normally is pretty good, but at that time of the year is not so much. And we can we can cut down on our feed expense. We can we can have a longer green season. We can have higher weaning weights or or yearling or you know weights on our stalker cattle. And so, you know, all of that can end up being a pretty good thing but we've got to manage time, we've got to manage cover, we've got to manage water. How can we manage them better to a place where we can still make money? Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily the greatest economist in the world, but one thing I know is to make money, we've got to spend less than what we're, than what we're bringing in. You know, Ranching can be a really great way to make a living. It's the only business model that I know of that all our employees get up and go to work every morning on their own and they stay at it until their job is done 
every day. And their job is to go out and get enough to eat to be able to raise a calf or and breed back or, you know, to, to grow up a little bit more and, you know, make a heavier stocker or something like that. They, they reproduce themselves for free. And all we got to do is, you know, ease the, ease the retirees into a humane and comfortable retirement by loading them up and taking them to a packing house. And, you know, grazing animals have gotten by doing that for a long period of time before humans ever came along. If we're not spending any money while they're doing that, it can be a really lucrative business. It, it makes for a real simple business model too. The, the, when we start not making money is when we start complicating that by hauling things to the ranch that may or may not be paying for themselves. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't ever supplement or we shouldn't ever do anything else, but we need to make sure we're getting as much good as we can from what we're getting for free, you know, from sunlight and water. You know, if all we, if if we can sell sunlight and water without having to put a bunch of things that rust or rot or depreciate between that sunlight and water and what we're selling, it makes for a really good business. If we end up having to put a whole bunch of extra into it, then we've got problems. If we can just get the animals to eat, you know, what the plants can stand to let them have and move on and then let the plants regrow and come back again, and just keep doing that over and over, it can be really low cost, it can be really low stress, it can be really resilient business model, and it'll make a lot of money too. So, I mean, that's the way I've looked at it and, and the way a lot of the successful guys that I know of run their business. Yes, sir. Another way to put it would have the least input to have the most profit. It, it, it's not necessarily the least input, but it's dang sure going to probably be less than what a lot of people do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with spending a dollar if you're going to make two back. But yeah, as, as an old rancher down south used to say, you know, it, it doesn't take an, a cow long to eat her head off if you're feeding her very much. Yes, sir. It all depends on your ROI or return on investment. That's right. That's all we have time for today. I want to thank you again, Dr. Steffens. Thank you for having me. I hope I get to come back. Yes, sir. And we're looking at having a grazing school next year. That would be fabulous. I look forward to it. Always remember, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service is here to serve every Texan. Feel free to call us at 325-728-3111 or email me at marcus.proninger at ag.tamu.edu.
Thank you.